This episode of Control Walt Delete is brought to you by Unity. That's Y O U N I T Y dot com. Unity is an easy and free app that allows you to access and share all of your videos, photos, music, and documents stored on your computers from your mobile phone or tablet. There's no syncing, configuration, or hassle involved. All of your files are kept secure and private on your own computers. Unity simply creates a connection that lets you access them remotely. Visit getunity.com, that's G-E-T-Y-O-U-N-I-T-Y.com, to learn more and install Unity for free. Today's episode of Control Walt Delete was also brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code WALT, that's W-A-L-T, at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello, and welcome to Control Walk Delete, a uh, new-ish podcast from The Verge. I was told to start saying new-ish by some Twitter followers. Uh, I'm Neil Patel, I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend Walt Mossberg, our executive editor and editor-at-large of Recode. Hey, Walt, how's it going? It's going great, Neil. I hope your Thanksgiving was great, and happy holiday season. Yeah. Uh, so, we, obviously, we took a week off last week to celebrate, um, and this episode is a little bit different. We're recording a little bit early this week, because I'm, I'm traveling, so... This it's going to be you know we're uh, what, nine episodes in or something and we're already changing the format going off the book. Off it's the be, book. It's going to be crazy. Um, it's but, so exciting. I know. I mean, two renegades just talking tech. That's talking the worst tech. tagline in history. Talking tech. Uh, but anyway. I'm going to reach back to. I'm going to reach back. You'll see. I'm going to reach back to the part of my career. Before I started writing about. Yeah, tech. I was just like literally seconds ago before we started. Uh, taping i said to walt this is a, a, what we're going to talk about this week a perfect topic uh because it, it's new it's old and walt just goes that's why i picked it which is amazing <laughs> um but so we want to talk about a little bit uh about uh sort of the encryption debate that's happening right um right now in tech in national security and one of the reasons that it's so interesting particularly to have walt talk about it is because you were once a national security reporter that's correct and this is like a, this is like a part of the walt legend <laughs> uh, it's amazing. So to give us a, just a little taste of that background before we dive into the... Okay, so um, uh, the older listeners among among the audience may remember this, but for about 20 years before I started writing my uh, tech column in the Wall Street Journal, I had a variety of beats at the Wall Street Journal's Washington office, uh, and several of them were national security. I was the I was the chief uh, Pentagon correspondent, and then I was – well, I did have the title of a, a chief national security reporter, and that job at that time at least was a combination of foreign policy, uh, part of foreign policy that was you know, most crucial, the Cold War, the, the mm-hmm. U.S.-Soviet relationship, and uh, the Persian Gulf, but also the intelligence community. And I'm not, I want to make it clear, I'm not claiming to be an expert on the intelligence community today in any way, shape, or form. And when when you're a reporter covering the intelligence community, there's only so much you can typically find out unless you are devoting your entire life as an investigative reporter and you you get a great 
you know, a great source. I, I do have, I'm proud to say, I, I, I do have the distinction of having been investigated, having two of my stories, <laughs> two of my stories on two separate occasions investigated by the FBI. Uh, but in those days, um, the FBI never even interviewed the journalists. They just mostly went around uh, trying to interview your likely sources. They oh, never, wow. they, at least in my case, they never found the actual source of the stories. But they, um, the, I think the idea was mostly to scare people from talking to the reporter for a, <laughs> for a few months. That makes sense. You know, you still have a file at the FBI, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it I says, do. It says Apple fanboy at the top. I'm sure I do. And, and some other time I'll tell you, yeah, boy, <laughs> Apple fanboy, yeah. That's a whole section. Noted there. Apple sympathizer. They have a, that's exactly right. They have a, and on another podcast, I promised to tell you the story about how I was approached by the KGB. Oh, and, wow. And, and how I talked to the FBI about, about it on that occasion. But anyway. Just to say, you know, yeah, what there's, do a, I do? There's, a, there's a whole life here, but it's, it's, yeah. and I don't know if a lot of our listeners know. There's like this rich history of Walt being a national security reporter. All right, but I'll but I'll just tell you one one anecdote from this yeah. that that talks about the NSA, um, and and let me preface it with with something. Every country needs spies. <laughs> our country needs spies. We need human spies. We need spies who are really good at tech and and who are really good at um. You know, spy satellites and 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 uh, interceptions of communications. The NSA was an agency that uh, was set up in the '40s, the late '40s. I'm pretty sure by Truman. To um, it was part of a big reorg of national security stuff, and it was set up to to create uh, unbreakable codes for the United States and to break the codes of other countries. Uh, and um, so I, I was doing a big bunch of those front page uh, stories in the Wall Street Journal, a big pro, set of like a profile of the intelligence community at the time. And, um, you know, I, I had a reasonably decent relationship with the person who was supposed to be the head of the whole intelligence community, which at that time was the head of the CIA. It's a different structure now. And he, uh, so I got to interview him at some length and, you know, obviously he wasn't telling me state secrets, but yeah. it was, it was interesting. And I got to talk to the people at the defense intelligence agency and it, there, there were at the time like 13 intelligence agencies. I think there's 16 now. There's even an intelligence agency in the agriculture department. <laughs> Again, another story. Yeah. But, but he, I could not get in to see, to talk to the head of the NSA and so I complained to the head of the CIA, who was supposedly <laughs> his superior, and he called the head of the NSA, and he vouched for me and all that stuff. And the guy just – the head of the NSA just, like, blew me off. So um, I don't tell that story uh, <laughs> to establish that I have a grudge against the NSA. I don't, but I just – I don't think they're uh, – I don't think they, at least then – considered themselves particularly accountable. Yeah. And while I have not been reporting on it in recent decades, the whole last few years since the Snowden thing shows that, um, you know, they're a little bit less than fully uh, willing to be, uh, you know, transparent about what they're doing, which yeah, I guess comes with the territory to some extent. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny how, cyclical the technology security encryption conversation really has become mm -hmm. so 
Um, obviously, you know, there, there were the Snowden revelations. Uh, then, you know, recently there are the unfortunate attacks in Paris. There is the specter of ISIS in this world uh, and of other terrorist organizations. And a lot of the argument seems to be, well, if we can't break into WhatsApp or iMessage, then the terrorists will use it. And if you just rewind the tape, um, there was like in the 90s and early 2000s, the same conversation was had about whole disk encryption on PCs and Macs um, or whether or not they should be able to break into Skype calls and wiretap Skype calls. Well, or even telephone, certain telephone kinds of calls. I mean, there was that whole Clipper chip. Do you guys remember that? You know, that was a Clinton uh, initiative uh, that uh, – that or Clinton administration initiative that the president eventually killed because he became convinced that the costs of uh, – you know, to our own security and to our own privacy and, and by the way, to trust in American products overseas was uh, – uh, Way, way more than the benef- than the potential benefits. Right. So, just to give the 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 listener five seconds in the Clipper chip, this was literally the Clinton administration proposed that um, all communications devices have a backdoor called the Clipper chip. I, uh, I think it came from Clippy, the <laughs> Microsoft <laughs> Word. Yeah, uh, it's thing, Clippy yeah. was going to be pre-installed <laughs> on all devices and spy for the government. It was a right. a unique program. Clippy Clippy would have been a brilliant spy. (laughs) No one suspected Clippy. (laughs) A little jackass has been narking on us. Uh, but anyway, so there was it, literally the, the notion was that they would put these chips in every device and the government yeah. would be able to access your communications to create unfettered wiretap ability. And this is on its fa- like I'm just saying it and it sounds absurd. And, we're, and we know now that you know, that would have been abused and broken into by unsavory groups of hackers or what teenagers well, and, would like and, screwing around. And right? you like, can find quotes from responsible officials. And, and let me stress, I think these people are responsible. Yeah. I think that they're, they're, they're tasked with trying to save our lives and they take it seriously. So, I mean, we may be laughing about Clippy, but we're not laughing about them and their job. And, but you can find quotes where they said, if this doesn't go into effect, we are going to go dark and be like shut out of everything. And of course, their ability to monitor uh, communications today in the digital uh, era is actually much greater than mm-hmm. it was then, not less, but greater. And none of the dire predictions they made about their abilities came true. In fact, you can make an argument, and this argument was being made back in the in the, when I was covering it when they were using you know tape, uh, and and they were listening to uh, you know phone calls. Um, you can make an argument that the biggest problem is not the inability to collect, but the the fact that they're collecting so much that it's extremely difficult to figure out what what to pluck out of it and and how to analyze it. Right, and this is a, you know we were. At the Verge story meeting earlier this afternoon, we were talking about how it you, you can collect all the stuff. It's actually your ability to pull out actionable intelligence that matters, right? And, you know, the, the attackers in Paris were just using – they were just communicating out in the open. Just nobody noticed that. Well, somebody threw – one of them threw a phone away apparently. I yeah. mean I, I, I'm not – these details do change and they may change. But at the moment, it looks like one of them threw a phone away that had that was not encrypted, that had some other stuff on it and that helped. 
and then that helped them locate the the safe house that they attacked right. and then a confirming thing that also contributed to that was they rented cars with gps in them uh-huh. i don't know how they did that because here here you can't work the gps that comes in rental cars <laughs> can't possibly make it work but, <laughs> and, and anyway so they you know they could see where the cars went and they could they could figure out and they could look at the phone and they could figure out this house right. and um you know the it's a complicated thing and and apple in particular but also google and some other companies uh, i think maybe microsoft too but i'm not certain but and you know tim cook has been particularly outspoken on this uh, from apple have taken the position that they are encrypting their devices and and some of their services like iMessage in the case of Apple, and that um, that is the right thing to do for the privacy and security of their customers, both consumers and businesses, and um, that if they give a backdoor to anyone, including the U.S. government, uh, they will have to give a backdoor to many other people like the government of China and the government yeah. of Russia. And there actually are examples. I mean, China actually has put out a couple of statements that are a little bit ambiguous, but can be read as they want this too, if you want to sell stuff in China. Right. And, um, you know, one of the effects of the Snowden revelation was to, um, uh, you know, give people who uh, give competitors to American products and an excuse to say, hey, you can't trust these American products. So, um, you know, Apple is holding firm. They've got a whole website about their position on this. And Well, they're all holding firm, except they all say we have to comply with the law. And then that's no, but they, but that. No, but what Apple says, uh, yes, they do say that, yeah. Eli, but what Apple says is if a court authorizes a subpoena on us mm-hmm. that says that says you shall give i don't know the FBI the contents of Nelis and Walt's iPhones we can't do it apple says we respect the law but we would respectfully tell the FBI or whoever came to us with the subpoena we'd love to come, we'd love to help you but we can't do it cuz we don't know how to decrypt Walt's and Eli's cell phones, so we suggest you go serve the subpoena on Walt and Eli. Right. And I mean, that's that's their position. Now, you might say they just want to get out of the middle of it, and the same with Google, and they want to be able to say to people, customers both here and abroad, that they don't they don't have a backdoor and they don't even, they don't have the key. They don't have a decryption key. Right. Well, you know, it's funny, I wrote... Um uh, in my previous life, when I was a lawyer, uh, I wrote a law review article um, for the school. They let you write a law review article? I did. This was when I was in school. Oh, um, but shit. it was for the, the Wisconsin International Law Journal. Um, uh-huh. And uh, it was about open source software in China and the rapid adoption of open source in China. Uh, and one of the reasons um, was because you know Microsoft Windows is pirated widely throughout China. Sure. Um and the Chinese government, in order to like basically appease Microsoft and America and all these other countries, are saying you guys are just blowing through intellectual property rights. Started promoting Linux and other open source operating systems, so you wouldn't pirate the hell out of Windows. And one of the arguments in favor was we don't know 
what Redmond is sticking into Windows, they might be spying on us, but we can yeah. read all of the code in this Linux, yeah. and we can guarantee you that it's safer than than Windows. And this notion that American products are spying is like it's widespread. It's surprisingly widespread that the NSA has backdoors and everything, and it only became an issue just recently when you know, the Snowden revelations came to light, and it, the NSA might be spying on Americans too. Um, and now I think what we're seeing is, and this is really the heart of the debate and, and kind of what we should focus on, is the notion that everyday consumers have some right to privacy in their devices. And the government is saying, well, we can't just come to you and say, type in your password um, because you won't do it. But we can go to Apple or Google or Microsoft and say, is there a back door to let us look at this data? Yeah, but uh, yes, that's a good summary. And I, uh, uh, but I'm kind of amazed because it's. I always thought I didn't go to law school, uh, but I always thought that if somebody came to you with an actual search warrant, in some cases they don't even need a search warrant because things that are on your person when you're arrested, I, I don't think you always need a warrant to go look through. But let's just say somebody came to my house with a search warrant. I can't just say I'm not typing in my password. I'm not pressing my thumb on the. Oh, um, but you you totally t- can. So the phone. This is. This what do you mean? Is, I totally can. Um, so well, this, I can go to jail then, right? I you mean, could, it, if they have a search warrant for the phone. I mean, there is like a long and growing body of case law here that says if you get pulled over um, for having a broken taillight, the cops can't just search your phone. Whereas, you know, they are are allowed to search your car. If you get pulled over for broken taillight. Yeah, the cops but what, say, what about open a your trunk? Warrant? I think there's what about weed a in there. duly authorized search warrant? So if they have a duly authorized search warrant to uh, search your phone, then there right. is actually a split in the states over whether you are compelled to give them your password. Um, really? And that is, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it, it, it's there are arguments that cut either way. Um, okay, so they have some valid arguments, but mm-hmm. but I would point out that it's very difficult to figure out, and, and if you read their statements carefully, they never quite say this, it's very difficult to figure out whether they've ever... Um, you know, failed to to catch a terrorist because of encryption. And I would also point out that there are lots of encrypted messaging services, for instance, and even encrypted uh, mapping and location services uh, designed to hide. You know, there's there's like mapping services that spoof your location deliberately. Right, uh, and there are numerous messaging services that are not made by Google and Apple um, that um, terrorists and criminals and hackers and other people like to use. So um, it seems to me that it's a little bit like whack-a-mole. I mean, having a <laughs> having a big fight with Apple. Uh, well, it's because you can fight Apple. That's the thing, right? Like, you if you're the government and you're saying shit, these drug dealers are using FaceTime audio, which is a thing that I've heard people say, which is yeah. FaceTime audio is totally encrypted end-to-end. So Apple rolled it out, and I this was a couple of years ago they rolled out FaceTime audio, and I literally got calls saying this is this is what drug dealers have been waiting for. Like, all of them are using FaceTime with tape over the camera, and now they're just going to use FaceTime audio. It's a ridiculous yeah. argument, right? But Ridiculous. I, 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 it was made to me nonetheless. Um you, you and I are, are doing this over Skype. Yeah, and I, I assure you, Clippy's listening Skype? to this shit right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's a Microsoft product, after all. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, but so I, you know, I heard this argument, and the you, the the government can't. Part of what it wants to do is find the drug dealers, right? And and right. collect enough evidence to go and issue a search warrant or incriminate them or or uh, charge them or do whatever they want to do. But they can't. You know, it's either you can fight the many or you can fight the the one big target. And so Apple is the one big target. The government says, well, if you just get Apple to play ball, we'll we'll, we'll arrest more drug dealers than ever as opposed to targeting each individual one. And that, you can see how it makes sense from a, a pure allocation of resources standpoint. You can see how that argument makes sense. Like, we're just going to put all of our effort into get it, Apple giving us a backdoor or Microsoft or whoever the hell is going to give us a backdoor. Google, yeah. Um, instead of putting all of our resources in each individual case, finding some evidence that will allow the government to give me a warrant well, here, that I have to serve on whatever bad person... Um, and then they, you know, I can compel them to. Right. I I understand. But here's the thing. First of all, I agree with you that that's their approach. I think, uh, you know, we've already mentioned, I'm going to mention one more time. You don't, if you're a bad guy or or woman, whether you're a terrorist or a drug dealer or whatever you are, you don't need to use products from Apple and Google and Microsoft and, you know, the big name American companies. There's plenty of them. Out there. In fact, the 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 whatever what evidence we have so far, which again may be compl- may prove to be completely wrong, is that um, these ISIS people involved in Paris were using a thing called Telegram, mm-hmm. which you know what it is. I mean, it's a service that was developed in Russia by somebody who tried to do a kind of Facebook in Russia, and he, then he got you know kind of. In trouble with the government, so he got pissed off and he moved somewhere else and he invented this telegram thing. Uh, it's like iMessage, but it's um, it's popular with uh, people that don't want to be uh, uh, reached by law enforcement. So um, that's one argument. Another argument, another reason that I think that they're trying to go to the source company is they always have. I mean, if you look at the uh, history of uh, of uh, wiretapping, uh, yes, we see on TV, and I assume it does happen. They do sometimes wiretap individual people by putting a device in their phone receiver or something. But they also, for I don't know, fifty years or, or more, were had agreements with the phone companies uh, where they could flip on something and. Uh, just start listening in on one or more people. And I think that's, you know, it's it's very, very annoying to them that they can't do that kind of thing because the phone companies never said to them, you know, Ma, Ma Bell never said to them, oh, we, this is encrypted and we can't <laughs> decrypt it. You know, I mean, but, but tech, Tim Cook says, look, I'm a law-abiding guy. I understand this is a subpoena, but... Sadly, I can't decrypt this for you. So let me ask you this, and in, in, in sort of bring together the, the, the two pieces of your career here. I, it always feels to me like the politicians of this country can wave the specter of terrorism or crime or violence or whatever, national security, broadly described, to get whatever they want. And here it seems like we're almost there again. Right. Like there is ISIS. Now the enemy has a name again. You know, for a, a couple of years there, it, it seemed like there was just chaos in Iraq. But now there's ISIS. ISIS wants to kill us. 
And however true that is, it doesn't matter because there's a name and they're terrifying. Uh, and they've they've definitely killed someone. Well, it's true. I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't know. Right. If you, but I'm just saying, like, the, you know, it's it's now it's a it's a fear that is tangible in a way that it yeah. had not been tangible right. for maybe a couple of years previous. It seems like, given the leverage that such a, a fear provides, the government can usually get whatever it wants in terms of protecting the national security. But here they've met this incredible resistance from the technology community. How do how do you think this plays out? You know, it's it's hard to tell, but. Uh, I, it was just in October that the White House decided um, uh, to defer uh, this whole issue or to, to not, you know, try to force the issue after listening to a lot of smart people. And uh, then, we, of course, we have Paris, so it's another opportunity for some members of Congress and, and for uh, some of the law enforcement folks uh, and intelligence folks to bring this up again. But um, I... I personally, you know, it's the holidays, it's a little slow. Maybe something will pick up, but I, I don't see this as a raging, uh, you know, uh, debate that will tip the other way again. I mean, what would they have to do? Would they, they would have to actually have a law that – think about this for a minute. They would have to have a law that said to the most successful in many ways and best-known companies in America – you have to have a backdoor. You have to have a flawed encryption scheme mm -hmm. uh, so that we can more easily go and do this. Remembering all the time, by the way, that while the metadata collection program, which is a separate thing, has ended. I think it ended today, right? Yeah. I think we ran a story on it. We did. Um the metadata is still there. It's just held by the phone companies, and there's a slightly different legal process for them to go get it. But it's there. Uh, so they can still track the patterns and all that kind of stuff. They just can't get into the message, into the, into the thing. Um, I, I, so they have – the government is, is, would have to say, we're going to make you um, – make your, encrypt, your encryption system flawed. At which point, every other country is – the bad governments and even the good governments are probably going to say, we want – the same back door if you want to sell your you know your right. your nexuses or your or your iPhones or your Lumias. <laughs> well your Lumia <laughs> might that could be a selling point for the Lumia. <laughs> now with a back door. Yeah, um yeah. now the Chinese government can finally <laughs> get into your phone. Anyway, um and all kinds of hackers can get in and bat you just, you know, anyone with a strong interest in, in breaking that encryption who could not normally break it, there's a weak point introduced. Uh, and there already are some people who say, oh, there's a way to get into iMessage anyway, uh, which is Apple, we, for those two people who don't know, is our Apple's you know, uh, instant messaging uh, system, which is not cross-platform, but because there are a lot of iPhones it's and iPads and Macs, it's popular. Mm -hmm. Um so some people already say there's some way to get into it. I don't know if that's true, but there certainly would be if this went through. So, uh, you know, it's not a good enough reason, in my opinion, if you're asking me based on my earlier career, yeah. and I still feel this way, it's not a good enough reason to say it's inconvenient to Apple, it's inconvenient to Google, um, it'll hurt American exports. You know, when balanced against trying to protect the country against another 9-11 or another Paris, it's not a good enough reason. 
But everything is a balance between costs and benefits. And these are the costs and and the government is just asserts the benefits and we, the public, have no no evidence of the benefits. And in fact, we read articles by people who claim to know these things because they're reporting on them or you know, they used to hold high positions in these agencies who say there have been no benefits. So uh, that's the difficulty here. It's it's always a balance. And um, this would be a very big cost uh, and it, it, for a very uncertain benefit, I think. I mean, I, I read today a, a, a piece written by the former head of, I think, the NSA and, and a couple of other uh, former high national security people that that ran uh, during the height of the debate that ended just before the Paris <laughs> thing, and they said, "Don't do this." Right. They said, "Don't, don't do it. Uh, it, it, it won't be worth it." So, but I'm sure you, you could scare up three others who would say the other uh, take the other position. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, this balance, this this notion of the balance. Yeah, it's funny. The same day that we ran the NSA stopping its metadata collection story. Um, BlackBerry decided it's leaving Pakistan because it doesn't right. want to give out a backdoor. But then they gave one to India, you know, and, they, and they, yeah. they'll give one to China. They only had five thousand, and I think our, I think the story said they only had five thousand enterprise customers. Right, but so now you have these companies making a very strange choice, sort of, to say, well, your country's ideologies line up with my company's values, so. We'll come into your country and give you a backdoor to our product, and that that is just so shaky to me. It, it it leads to a place that I don't think anybody wants to go down, which is, you know, our platforms have ideologies baked into them. They have values and culture baked into them as we use them, um, and to say, well, you know. Google's going to pull out of China, but then it's a huge market, so they're going to start edging their way back in, which is what happened. Um, and now we're going to start doing it on a, on a dimension that includes our national security. Is No, I don't think very... we should be making these choices country by country, market. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think we should ignore the damage done to U.S. technology uh, companies uh, by the suspicion – which would be more than a suspicion if we passed a law requiring a backdoor. But I don't think that's the deciding factor when lives are at stake and national security is at stake. Nevertheless, I'm still waiting just as a citizen and a citizen who knows a little bit more than maybe the average person about it. And even if my information is old, um, I just, you know, I just don't. Uh, I just don't have a sense. I have a sense from Apple and Google about why they're doing what they're doing and how they're doing it and how it affects me as an owner of their products. And I own products from on both platforms. Um, but I don't have a sense of, of how it's going to help me as a citizen. I want to let me just read you one paragraph. Yeah. So here's a piece that ran in The Washington Post. It ran in July and it's an op ed. And the authors are Mike McConnell, mm -hmm. a former director of the NSA and, and a former director of national intelligence, Michael Chertoff, quite a conservative guy who is a former Homeland Security secretary uh, and now has his own private firm, and then a guy named uh, William Lynn, who's a former deputy defense secretary. And in this piece, and I'm just going to pluck out one paragraph, 
It says, we recognize the importance our officials attach to being able to decrypt a coded communication under a warrant or similar legal authority. But the issue that has not been addressed is the competing priorities that support the company's resistance to building in a backdoor or duplicated key for decryption. We believe that the greater public good is a secure communications infrastructure protected by ubiquitous encryption at the device, server, and enterprise level without building in means for government monitoring. Now, that's really strong and clear, and it's coming from people who had, I mean, the head of the NSA, the head of national intelligence, the head of Homeland Security, the deputy defense secretary, these people, and and I know these are not, you know, uh, bleeding heart liberal people, uh, uh, unless they're secretly giant Google and Apple shareholders. I mean, I, these are people who spent their careers uh, trying to protect the country, and they publicly wrote what I just read to you. Yeah. And it isn't qualified. So um, that leads me to, that suggests to me that, you know, either there is a way that they can still get into the phones that we don't know about. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the NSA has. And and actually, most members of Congress don't know what the NSA has. And, um, or their experience has been, this is not an important factor. I think that's the really interesting piece of it, right? Because- we're led to believe in it's funny it's funny how many times just today i've had a version of this conversation but we're we're always led to believe that collecting all the information is really all you need and then algorithms and data processing and you know people typing rapidly at computers will be able to process that data into safety <laughs> Right, broadly speaking yeah yeah but that is not that's necessarily how it looks true. on tv that's how it looks on tv but that is just not um, necessarily true. You know, I was watching, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Mr. Robot, which I highly recommend to everybody. Um, but I was having this conversation with Addie, uh, one of our reporters, Addie. And uh, she was saying um, that basically he has a superpower, right? Like he can log into your Gmail account, but then he knows everything about you. And he, the step between I have access to your, I guessed your password and I read all of your email yeah. is never shown. And yeah. that's the hard part. Um, yeah, and but look, even back when I was doing this, and and the when I was attempting to cover it, um, the uh, uh, the NSA worked very hard uh, to um, uh, have some sort of system using the computers they had at their disposal, then which which were generally Cray supercomputers, right. um, which have probably have less power than my Apple watch, but um, <laughs> they, they listened, they, they had a way to listen for phrases. And in fact, in the Nixon administration, there were accusations that they were listening for the names of just, just, you know, anti-war leaders um, who <laughs> were not national security threats, but you know, that was that was part of what was done. Um, I have I have no recollection of whether that was ever proven. But you know, so they did. They were. It's not like they don't work on trying to find ways to automate this and find the bad guys and look for the patterns. That's why that what's what they do with the metadata. Um, 
but there's just a lot of overreaching and there's not much explanation. And um, so when you're weighing the costs and, and benefits, it's very difficult. And I, to me, my instinct is to say, um, if people like the people I just mentioned can write what I just read, that must mean that we ought to err on the side of encryption. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just me. I mean, you know, I'm sure people listen, there will be people listening to this or reading uh, my column this week who, who will fiercely disagree with that. Um, and I, you, you know, know, I wonder if anybody, I understand that. I just, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, you know, having this conversation with you just now, it, it feels like you can't argue with it too much. Like you can make the panicked appeal to fear and that's the good argument. But it's once you start to unpack it, it, there's a lot of bad people out there that would love to break into my bank account. And I would prefer that it's a little bit harder for the government than make it a little bit easier for that group of bad people. And I just I think phrased that way, it becomes very, very easy to understand. Right. Do we make the encryption flawed and hope that nobody else figures it out uh, so that we can prevent ourselves from the worst of the worst? Or do we make sure the government solves the worst of the worst problem, which it so far has done a reasonably good job of doing over time um, and keep the citizens of our country and you know consumers of these devices around the world perfectly safe from um, other bad people who are, to their credit, doing a great job of hacking banks and retail stores and uh, the Sony studios uh, without and any And lots of help. things, by the way, that we don't know about because there's lots of companies that don't say when they're hacked. Right. Uh, and by the way, one of the things they hacked, I would remind you, is the personnel records of the federal government. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. So, you know, I mean, and that included fingerprints and social security numbers and all kinds of stuff. Um, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, the The government has it, it, the government has a big problem of its own. And um, now, if the government, I mean, you know, I don't know of a ha- of a successful hack on the NSA, but I wonder if we would ever find out if there was one. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't I don't. Again, I don't mean to demonize the NSA. I think those folks are trying to do something that is to our benefit. Um, but it is not – it is it – is, it used to stand for no such agency. That's what the letters used <laughs> to stand for in uh, Washington gossip. And there were a lot of people who had never heard of it. I mean until 30 years ago or 40 years ago, even though it was formed in the late 40s. Um, because it just it just hit out there. It's much bigger than the CIA. Most people don't know that. Television shows don't necessarily tell you that. Uh, it's much bigger than the CIA. It's by far the biggest intelligence agency, and it really evolved out of uh, just a, a, a mission to you know make up codes for us that other people couldn't break and break other countries' codes. Yeah, that's what it started as, and now it's now you know, it's our own codes. Well, that's right. So, it goes. so it's a tricky subject, and um, and so I'm going to write something about it, and we have just finished talking about it, and <laughs> well, establishing it's, it's not that we're I mean, unpatriotic communists or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I will say it's interesting doing the show before you publish your column, because uh, it's, it, you know, after it's done and I've read it, I know sort of the, 
the structure of your thinking and just talking it out with you before you've sort of gotten into it is really is really interesting for me anyway. I hope it was interesting for the listener. It's very interesting for me. I have no idea if it's interesting for anyone else, but it's interesting for the two of us, Lee and I, and that's all we care and about. And that is truly the beauty of our show is you and I. You and I ranting at each other and hopefully, that hopefully and, keeping and, the and use the use the discount code wall to, to buy oh my God. whatever it was. I, I forgot. Yeah, but what? Uh, it's whatever what wonderful, <laughs> useful <laughs> product it is that I'm sure is encrypted. This by the is way. literally this is every advertiser's dream is for you to just say the offer code. Um, anyhow, that was it. That was a show. Thank you so much, Walt. Um, thank you, Neelai. Thank you for everybody who's been listening to us. We love your feedback, so please, please tweet at us. Uh, leave us iTunes reviews. You can tweet at Walt at Walt Mossberg. You can tweet at me at Reckless. Um, we're at iTunes along with our other great shows, uh, iTunes.com slash The Verge. We have this show. We have The Vergecast, which I will not be on this week. Dieter is hosting it um, because I'm not out of town. We have What's Tech with Chris Plant, which is wonderful. And we have Verge ESP with Emily Ashita and Lisa Pato. So please listen to our ever-growing suite of radio-esque programming. Uh, and we love having you, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks so much. 